So would you join me in Acts chapter 1 this morning? We're going to launch a new teaching series today entitled Unstoppable Church. You know, I'm thankful that nothing can stop God. Nothing can stop his gospel. And for us to ever think that there is any enemy out there that can oppose God or his gospel in such a powerful way to eliminate it, we just have to come back to the example of the unstoppable church and realize that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to participate in that same way with this great mission. Let's never be caught writing off God's church. That's easy to do sometimes. Some people get so discouraged about church or their church that they just begin to, to write it off. Things don't happen the way they would like, or maybe the, the, the patterns are not always the way that they're used to. The routines that they enjoy being a part of maybe get shook up a little bit, and all of a sudden, we write off the church. Now, there are plenty of people who already have written off God's church. They have said that they like Jesus. They'll take a little bit of Jesus for their life, but they say there's really no point to the church. As far as they're concerned, they look at the church as just another failed institution. And unfortunately, there have been too many who have died off in such a brutal way that they have scarred the lives of many people who don't want anything to do with the institution called the local church. But now we remember, nothing will stop God, nothing will stop the gospel, and Jesus, or God uses his uh, message and mission through his local church. That's why for us, it's such an amazing privilege to be a part of that. It's such an amazing opportunity that God has put into our place for us to participate in his church. And so we would totally disagree with anyone who says the church is just another failed institution. Because the church is far from being a lost cause. In reality, the church is unstoppable because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And what took place is that the followers of Jesus Christ, we have this unstoppable power. When the Holy Spirit indwells us and lives within us, we can now take this mission and we can live it out. We can take the message and we can proclaim it. And so here with the unstoppable church, we jump right into this text here in just a moment with Acts chapter 1. And we're going to find as this passage will open up, we're going to see a room full of really scared and, and uh, uh, people that are just huddled into a corner, huddled into this room. These are the disciples, and, and they're trying to figure out what is next. They're completely powerless, and, and they're uncertain of their future. And remember, in this passage, we're going to see Jesus is preparing to ascend back to heaven. He spent three and a half years with them. They thought everything was gone until uh, when he died and was buried, and then the living hope came back to life three days later. And so now for 40 days, they're experiencing this new life again. There's Jesus is back with us. Everything's going to be okay. But now Jesus is preparing them in these 40 days that he's going to ascend to heaven. And he said, when I ascend and when I leave, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you this power, and that's going to come from the Spirit. And so the disciples are trying to figure out, what does this all mean? How is this happening? What's going to go from here? And so what would take place in this chapter and for the next few chapters is that these men and women are trying to figure out what's next. Like they think that Jesus is still coming back. They, they remembered he died and buried for three days. Now he's ascended to heaven. I'm, I'm sure he'll just be back later. So we'll wait and we'll do what we need to do, but maybe he's coming back. 
But now they're going to find themselves in this upper room. They're in prayer, and they're preparing for what God has for them next. And so as we see this unstoppable gospel turning the world upside down through these followers who are empowered, let's look at the journey getting to that point. Look at verse number 4, Acts chapter 1. It says, And being assembled together with them, Jesus was with the disciples and commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So this is going to take place 10 days later. Verse number 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the othermost part of the earth. Verse number 12. So Jesus ascends in 9, 10, 11. And verse 12, they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day journey. So about a half a mile to maybe a three-quarter mile at the max. And then when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zealots, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. This morning, we're going to look at this text of the apostles, what's taking place in their world, what's taking place in their life at this moment, and we see this unstoppable mission, this unstoppable mission which was given to them, which is passed to us, that we would take this commission, that we would passionately live by it, and that it would be a part of who we are. This morning, we started in our connection class with four of the points of our core values And we'll continue with that here in this morning's message as by the end, we'll look at two other core values of our church and how it relates to this unstoppable mission. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege to stand before your church and to communicate your message. And so I pray that you would remove the distractions from our mind and our heart and that we would be able to focus on your word. I ask that you would use it in a a special way to to challenge us or to convict us. Maybe in areas where we say, you know, I'm really lacking in this, or maybe I've lost my passion or zeal for this. Maybe we've given up on the church. Maybe we've given up even on you. So whatever it might be for us in our spirit today, allow our hearts to be moved only by you. So thank you for what you're going to do. We'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you pick up in verse number five and six and seven what he told them he needed them to do? He wanted them to go and wait. Now, nobody in here likes to wait. Like, I think in our society, we've really taught ourselves to be impatient, haven't we? I mean, think about it. Two-day Amazon Prime delivery really used to amaze us. Like, wow, I can get it in two days? And then you're like, oh, Amazon Prime, it takes two days. I really need it tomorrow. And so we say, two-day delivery, too long. Maybe it's a few minutes that you have to wait behind someone at the Wendy's drive-thru. Maybe you're like, okay, should I honk my horn? Should I tell them to go ahead and order? What did they order? Why is this too long? A few minutes in the drive-thru. 
Maybe it's the 60 seconds it takes to heat up yesterday's leftovers in the microwave, and you're like, too long. How many of you have just said, hey, I like it cold. I'm just going to eat it cold, all right? I've done that before. Sweet potato souffle, ah, I'll just eat it cold. Forget the 60-second microwave. Yeah, too long. Then there's the 15 seconds that we have to wait for a movie to stream onto our TV, and we're like, oh my goodness, would you just hurry up and get on there? And then there's the eight seconds it takes to reheat your Krispy Kreme donut. And you're like, too long, right? Nobody in here likes to wait. Man, we're just so used to instant gratification, instant moving. Waiting takes too long. And yet, at the end of Christ's earthly ministry, that's exactly what he tells his disciples to do. He says, go and wait. And so they're waiting here, and they're waiting for what is going to be an incredible gift. It's going to be the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember the setting of this text, and don't forget what's taking place and what has been promised to them. Verse number 8 says, you're going to receive power, and that power is going to come from the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that power, you're going to be witnesses of the gospel, of this message, and you are going to be unstoppable. Now, the unstoppable mission is carried out, and it continues even to this day. And what I see here in just these few verses is that the unstoppable mission is carried out when the church obeys God alone. In verse number four and five, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. And so they're going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to wait. Now, there's a few things that they maybe jump ahead and some things that they, that they do. But overall, they are obeying what Christ has told them, and to go and to do this thing and to wait. And they had learned all throughout the ministry of, of Christ to submit to his authority and to really to obey his words. These men had given up everything in order to follow Jesus Christ. They had left everything behind, and they were going to follow after him, and they were going to obey. They were going to do what he had said for them to do. Now, remember, Jesus called for great sacrifice. Jesus had called for them to give up everything and to fully pursue them, uh, to pursue him. And really, even that command passes down to us where he says, if you're going to come after me, then if any man's going to do that, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. So there's a lot of things that we may say we're driven in our life to do, but until we find out how difficult it really is, sometimes we back away. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what the example is. Maybe it's a hobby, and maybe you start out that hobby, and you really like it, and you're really enjoying it until you realize the call, the sacrifice that it makes on your part. Maybe for somebody in here, it's um, a, a task to eat right, to eat better. And you fully pursue that. We're going to eat right. We're going to, we're going to make sure we watch our calories and we're going to exercise and we do it until you realize how early you have to get up or, or you have to say no to delicious brownies and, um, and, and, and these really important things in life you have to deny yourself. Then you're like, eh, not sure if this is really worth it right now. And then it'll catch up 20 years later and you're like, oh, I wish I had eaten healthy again. So when we find ourselves really committing to something that's worth it, we see a level of sacrifice. That's where the disciples are. So when Jesus tells them to go wait into Jerusalem, here yet again is another element of sacrifice. They're not given the details of how long it's going to take. They're not given the task to do while they wait. They're not given any of those details or specifics. Now, we don't really like that, do we? Like if somebody says, I want you to go do this, we want to know the whys. Isn't that what we're good at with kids? 
Like we tell the kids, all right, everybody load up. We're going to head here. Why? Why are we going there? Or why do we have to go there? Or why are we doing this? Why do I have to clean up? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Because your teeth are going to fall out if you don't, right? And you've got a big piece of broccoli hanging out, okay? It just looks nasty. So these are very important things that we always have to answer the why, but we always want to expect obedience. Now, in our own life, sometimes we catch ourselves. God is leading us, and instead of obeying God alone, we kind of have our own agenda, and with God, we want to ask a lot of whys. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking the whys as long as you are prepared to receive the answer he's going to give you. So you may ask the why, and he may make it clear, or he may not. So, But you have to be willing and ready to receive that answer. He may say, I just want to stretch your faith. I may want to push you. I may want to wait. I want you to just learn patience on me. So the disciples, they're learning this in a very, very strict way. All throughout the centuries before this moment, God's people had known about the Spirit. So this was not anything new concept, verse number 8, to the disciples. He's already prepared them through his earthly ministry. Hey, a comforter is going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Hey, this gift is going to come to you. Hey, this empowering. And here he is again telling this empowering is going to take place of the Holy Spirit. They're like, what? Wait, what's this Holy Spirit issue? No. They had knowledge of what took place all through the accounts of the Old Testament. If you remember in studying through the Old Testament, we read of how the Holy Spirit would come to a specific person at a specific time for a specific purpose. And yet these experiences, they were expectations rather than the norm in the Old Testament. So now there was going to be this special filling from the Spirit. And in, and, and in the Old Testament, it was reserved for certain people at certain times. And never had it been for all of God's people throughout all of the time. So this was going to be a whole new concept. This was going to be a whole new thing. And, and so Jesus was preparing his disciples all throughout his ministry to receive this gift. Now, the Spirit's ministry among the believers was going to be one that is very powerful, not only to them, but to us today. Think about what the Spirit does. He convicts us of our sin. He reveals truth to us. He gives us counsel and guidance. He teaches us and testifies about Jesus. You have that, that something inside of you, just that gut feeling. As a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's the Holy Spirit. If there's something that causes you to understand more truth about God or His Word, that's the Holy Spirit teaching you. If you sing a song or you go through an experience and it brings your mind towards Jesus Christ, that's the Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus in your life. So you see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is a very empowering thing and, if, and one that we need to grab a hold of and love with all of our heart, soul, and mind. It's one that we need to take a hold of and not be afraid of. So Jesus' departure would usher in the Spirit's revival, uh, or his arrival. Now, what does obeying God look like for you? What does it look like for us? I think sometimes this obedience to God means that we need to love people even when they frustrate us, even when they use us, or maybe even hate us. It's going above and beyond ourselves, and it's loving people like that. Maybe obeying God looks like this for you, doing the right thing at work. Even maybe when it costs you a raise or a promotion. It's doing the ethical thing at work. Maybe obeying God means you do the right thing at school, in middle school, high school, college. You're going to do the right thing even if it costs you some friends or it costs you some status. 
Obeying God may mean forgiving people in your life who don't deserve forgiveness. You have people like that in your life? Maybe obeying God for you means that the one who has called you to the impossible life is not going to sugarcoat how difficult this life is going to be. And so you'd say, well, obeying God means I've got to do the hard thing. Obeying God means I take extra steps of faith. You know, Jesus would make this very clear to his disciples when he said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So Christian, the journey of the Christian life is not set out and promised to be an easy one. But what we have been promised is that, God, that Christ has already overcome the world. And that faith that we have in following him is going to be what gives us courage and strength and the stamina to continue on. Obeying God is a call not to give up on God, not to give up on his church, but to continue to stay faithful and sustainable in him. So the unstoppable mission is carried out when we obey God alone. Secondly, for the church... When the unstoppable mission is carried out, the church is waiting on God's direction. Now, in verses 6 through 8, they have obeyed, they've gone, and now they're going to go and they're going to wait. They asked the question in verse 6. When the day four were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, would thou at this time restore or give back the kingdom to Israel? They were so excited about what the potential was. When the disciples met with Jesus, they were basically asking him about the kingdom that they anticipated would come. Like most of the Jews, they were looking to Jesus and they were looking to this political kingdom, hoping for him to be this savior, this Messiah, this one who would come and rescue them from this Roman control that they had lived through for centuries. And so that's why the Jews were following him. That's why they were excited about him and until they realized that the call that Jesus had was just to seek and to save those which were lost, that he was not coming to sit on this earthly throne or to bring back the kingdom to Israel and to push out the Roman Empire, for it would be the hands of the own Roman Empire that would nail him to the cross. And so Jesus was continually submitting even to that earthly government. But this was what they had hoped for with Jesus. And now Jesus is going to reply not to their primary focus of their question. Notice how he responds. Because he doesn't say that this is all about restoring or giving back their earthly kingdom to Israel. In verse 7, he says unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You see, instead he emphasized that the times and seasons were none of their concern. He's basically saying that the dates were not important to the disciples for now. This was in the Father's hand. This was for him to know. This was for him to control. Jesus noted that the dates that God the Father had fixed are for him alone to know. Now, knowing the mind of God, something that we often strive to do, but God is, is immeasurable. God is one that we can't really grasp or understand completely. So often we want to put God in our own defining box. We want to carry around God so that when we need him, we can open him up and place him at the right place at the right time when we need him most. And then when we're done, we'll close up that box and we'll carry him around. That's our genie God. 
That's our rescue God. That's our God that we hope will be there at the times we need him most. The disciples are kind of at that place where they're going to have to wait on God's direction, God's timing, God's leading. And as the church, we understand, as just individuals, that's not an easy thing to do. Like, really? You mean I just need to wait on answers? I need to wait on God's leading? I need to wait on God's peace? I need to wait on God's direction? Some of you in here are facing some really heavy tasks in your life, some really heavy decisions. And you're trying to find answers, and you just wish God would send you like an email, boop, email, and you pull that up. Ah, thanks, God. That's what I was kind of thinking the whole time. And that's kind of the relationship you'd really like to have. But here is going to be a learning process for these disciples. How many of you would say that typically you like to be in the know? Anybody in here, you kind of like, if there's new data to know, you want to know it. How many of you are checking Facebook all the time, every day, because you want to know what's going on in everybody's world? Oh, they went here for vacation. Oh, they wore that. Okay, yeah, you just want to know, okay? And then how many of you, if there's news in the family, if you didn't get called first, second, or third, you're like all worked up about it. And you're like, how come nobody told me? You're like, well, there's a process, okay? You would find out eventually. It's all of us, most of us. We want to be in the know. We want to know the news, and we want to know the excitement. And it's hard for us when we're told it's none of your business. Like, I don't like to hear that. How many of you have ever told somebody that? It's really none of your business. How many of you have been told that? It's none of your business. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what happens. What do we find so difficult about waiting on the Lord? Think about it for just a minute. What do you find so difficult about waiting on the Lord? Experiences of our life, they constantly call for us to to be patient and wait on God's direction. And we have to ask ourselves, am I okay with that? I mean, am I okay to just wait on God? Or is it just in me that I'm just going to go forward and I'm going to make it happen and I'm going to do it until I hit a brick wall? Am I just going to take it in my own hands and I'm going to make it work and I'm going to make it happen and if God's got a problem with that, he'll have to figure that out. Sometimes we want to move so fast, so rapidly, and, and so full force that we're leaving God behind. And see, they didn't know what was going to happen in chapter number two. These apostles were going back to the upper room to wait and to pray and to to be with each other, but but they didn't know how long it was going to last. From the moment of verse number 5, 6, and 7 is 10 days before Pentecost. So that's a week and a half. How many of you like to wait for things for 10 days? No. I went to the doctor, and I want to hear my report, and I certainly don't want to wait 10 days to get my report. I want to know, is something wrong with me? And then some of us, we don't even like to wait 10 minutes for something. So you think about this, 10 days. He told them to wait, to remain, and see what he would do. Now, they didn't realize that Pentecost was going to happen and what it would take place in chapter 2, but they're, they're willing to wait on God's direction. Now, when God shows you, be sure to act on it, okay? When God shows you the direction to go, we have to be willing to obey, point number one, and to move in that direction. As we've been studying these core values, and we'll continue next week, we're looking at some very clear things that God says, church, function in this way. And we can't just call it a a little piece of data or something on our list. We have to let it be the fuel behind us that motivates us to do action. Now, we're really good at being oblivious to God's leading or sometimes from even being blinded to God's work. 
So may we never be that way. The last thing in verses 12 through 14 is that the unstoppable mission is carried out when the church perseveres with a unified spirit of prayer. Now, what do you know or what do you do when you find yourself waiting on the next thing that God has for you? Many of us just try to stay busy. Like we're waiting to get that phone call with news or we're waiting for somebody's arrival or we're waiting for the next step in this journey. And to preoccupy our time, we just try to keep ourselves busy. So we clean or we shop or we watch movies or we try to distract ourselves from time so that we can hurry up and get there. That's one of the things I loved as a kid about trips. I was able to just fall asleep on the road and just snooze away until you wake up and you're like, oh, wow, that was like 10 minutes. And everybody else is exhausted from the long trip. And you're like, hey, let's go. That was awesome. That didn't take long at all. We try to distract ourselves from the moment of being in it at that time. But the disciples are not going to just pass the time by. They're going to fill it with something very purposeful. And that's why in verse number 14, it tells us that they continued, they persevered with one accord, with unity in what? In prayer and supplication. The Bible tells us that they were continually united in prayer for 10 days. As they go up to the single upstairs room, they pray together with the women who were there, the brothers of Jesus Christ are there, the apostles are there. Here's a few things about prayer. Prayer is primary. Prayer is primary. For the church, prayer was not a last resort option. It was the main agenda. Isn't that an important truth for us to grab a hold of? Like prayer was not, if all else fails, let's pray. Prayer was the main agenda that said, we're going to obey God, we're going to wait for his direction, and we're going to unify our hearts in prayer. Then prayer, remember this, prayer unites us. What common purpose or what common mission can our church pray for together? Think about it. I wonder sometimes what the New Testament church was praying for. Oftentimes, we would read in the book of Acts that they were together praying. What was their prayer list like? What was on their, their heart and on their mind? A prayer list today in churches. I had a friend who travels from church to church right now, and he sent me a picture of prayer lists from the churches he's attending. And these prayer lists that the church gets distributed and, and people will pray over them, the sad common reality across the board for churches is that as you open up their prayer guide, their prayer journal, their prayer bulletin, whatever you want to call their prayer list, you will find 85 names of church members who are struggling with every health thing under the sun with four names of people who they're praying will trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. I mean, I saw it. I've got the picture. Now, I'm constantly evaluating our journal and saying, okay, how do we keep proper balance of our prayer focus? And you say, well, should we not pray for one another and bear each other's burden? Yeah, we should. But we also have to remember that the focus of the church is not just that we pray for everybody's ailments every time we're together, but we're praying for the vision of God to continue to move us forward. And we pray for the ministries of Parkway. We pray for the people of Parkway, the leadership of Parkway. We pray for the lost souls that are in part upon our heart, the people who need Jesus, the people who we need to share the gospel with. We begin to pray for our boldness. We pray for the opportunities to come that we would be willing to share that gospel message. And so the prayer here is uniting their heart and their prayer meetings were focused with great 
um, attention. And that's the third thing. Prayer helps proper focus because when we pray together, our focus becomes God agenda, not our own. You know, when there's a moment of conflict and hostility, if you just stop and pray together, it really can calm the spirit and the focus of the intensity of that moment. Now, we're going to always have conflict in the church, and we'll have conflict in relationships. And we can't pretend like in the middle of conflict, we can't just say, honey, you just shut your mouth, I'm going to pray. And as we pray, think that it's all going to work out, okay? That's probably not the tactic. Now, if you pray long enough, maybe she'll fall asleep, but I've, I've tried it. It doesn't work, all right? So <laughs> don't go that way. But there is a focus of prayer that as a body of believers as a church, that if we would spend more time praying together than complaining together or fighting together or bickering or, or planning or gossiping, if we would just spend more time praying together, we would find that we would have a proper focus in the right direction. So the church here is, is this unstoppable church, and with this prayer and unified together, it's a really important thing. And I kind of want to remind you tonight about an opportunity that our church has for prayer. At the conclusion of our service, about 635, 640, we're going to do a prayer walk. And everybody who's here, we're going to give them a prayer bulletin that's going to list all the kids and the teachers of Parkway Christian Academy, and we're going to send us out into the campus and we're going to pray over desks, and we're going to pray over classrooms, and we're going to pray over the, the, the hallways, and just praying for the boys and girls and the men and women who will be a part of a ministry within our church of Parkway Christian Academy, praying for souls to be saved, praying for families to be unified, for hearts that are wandering to be brought to the Lord. These are, really, these are real things that we can join together in prayer with a prayer focus. Now, the two core values that we see is number five of our core values. If you, I think you have them there in your notes. And if not, they're in, the, they're in another note uh, from this morning. What is the unstoppable mission for Parkway Baptist Church? Well, we want to fit together with our community. We want to passionately link ourselves with the people in our community in order to break down barriers, build relationships, and plant gospel seeds. That takes great purpose and prayer in order to link together with our community. But also the second one is focusing on missions. Now we take very seriously our duty to proclaim the gospel at home and around the world and to partner with those who are sent by God to places that we cannot reach. That's a vital, important part of our ministry here is missions. Now, both community and missions kind of goes right along with what verse number 8 tells us. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. So the result here of the Holy Spirit's empowering is that naturally we will be a witness, a proclaimer of the gospel message. It really becomes a very natural response. Did you see that in the verse? It doesn't say that we go in order checking things off, that the Holy Spirit comes on us, and then hopefully we'll obey the Great Commission and take the gospel message. He said, as a result, Christian, of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you and empowering you with his presence, you will naturally take the unstoppable mission 
and proclaim the truth. So as a local church, we have a responsibility to do that within our community. We want to link with our community. We want to grow with our community. If this community around us grows and develops in the next five years and we do nothing to connect with it, we have totally missed the mark. If we're not willing to observe, if we're not willing to connect, if we're not willing to get our hands a little dirty, if we're not willing to open our doors and open our arms and begin to love people continually, if we're not willing to do that, the community around us is just going to keep growing and they're going to find hope somewhere else. But we have the true hope, the true answer, and the unstoppable mission is ours to take a hold of. And so we do that through our community, but we also do that through missions. And when we look at that with missions, we understand that we can't all go to every part of the world, but we can do that through prayer and through giving. We can support worldwide missions through our faith promise, our grace giving on a weekly basis. We can partner with church planners that will go stateside and worldwide. We can partner with people who will go into places we will never be able to step foot at, but we can go with them by way of support. And so missions ministry has to remain an important part of our core value of who we are as a church. Community and missions can never be eliminated because if those core values are ever eliminated from the local church, they've totally lost the mission that God has given them. And the church will die off soon thereafter. If they become inwardly focused and only about themselves, they will realize that they will eventually die off with nobody to notice and unfortunately nobody to care. And so we'll continue to reach out. We'll continue to impact, but we have to be fueled by prayer. Now, in closing, if I were to take eight guys from this auditorium and to link them up into a big arm knot, let's do it real quick. I'm gonna call out some names. You guys come up and we're gonna conclude with this. Ricky Pagode, you represent the people in their 40s, all right? Are you still in your 40s? I think you are. Come and represent the 40s. <laughs> Scott Boyd, I, I put down in my notes originally, you represent the people in the 50s until I looked on my database. You're going to have to represent those who are in their 60s and on, okay? So you're 60, you're a young 63, but uh, you represent all the old people in their 90s, okay? Sorry, Miss Poff. <laughs> I was going to call Miss Francis up here, but I don't think we will. All right, so Scott, you come on up. You guys stand right up here and lock arms. Severo Sosoiko, you represent our deacon watch care, our shepherding team. We have three deacons, and Severo's going to represent them. Scott Nicely and David James, you guys come up and represent families. Scott Nicely, you've got a buku of family members, and so you represent families with kids and, and families with siblings and families with boys and girls and, 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 and harmony and just love and all of that represented by the Nicely crew. David is one of our trustees. The trustee team represents our finances of our ministry, budget, where the money goes, how it goes, and um, so David's going to represent that. Carlos, uh, leave the sound booth. You come on up, and uh, you're going to represent our youth group. Caleb Redmond, you come on up. You're going to represent our college students. And, uh, and what do these men are going to do other than really look nice up here? You guys look nice, all right? All right, put the lyrics on the screen. You guys are going to sing this song for us, and uh, we're going <laughs> to... Wait, I don't think this is the crew. We are. Right. All right. Hey, come on, young guys. You got to hurry. You're the slow pokes. All right, Carlos, come up. Caleb, up. All right, link arms together. And um, now, with this form, we could probably have a strong guy in here that could probably come and maybe pull somebody apart. That would be probably pretty easy to do. Now, the enemy wants to pull this local church apart. 
And we have to realize that he does it in very subtle ways. He will start with your marriage. He'll get to your kids. And then he's going to work through your grandkids. And then he's going to work in your own heart to some offense. You're going to be pulled out of your routine. And all of a sudden, something's going to change. And you're going to have to put a little more effort. That's not comfortable. That's not easy to do. Now, all of a sudden, subtlety comes in and Satan says to you, I don't really like what the preacher said. I don't like what he wears. I don't like what he looks like. He needs a haircut. You're right, I do. I got a big old mop on my head. So you say, you're going to find anything you want to to criticize me. Have at it. You're going to find that. That's okay. You're also going to find great reason to criticize your Sunday school teachers. You're going to say, there's no class for me. There's nobody to to connect with. You're going to find reason that says, I don't want to be a part of a ministry team. The thing that I love to do, they're not begging at my door to say, would you please just serve in this way? And so I'm stepping out. I'm not connecting. They're not going to use me. Or you may even say that nobody praises me. Nobody says thank you. When was the last time I got a thank you note? When was the last time I got a gift from the pastor? He forgot my birthday. All of these things are subtleties that the enemy is going to use to begin to tear the local church apart. It's going to happen in your heart, and then it begins to pass on to other people. And all of a sudden, the infection takes place, and the enemy is able to to rip us to pieces. Do you think God wants a local church to be ripped to shreds? Do you think the enemy wants a local church to be deteriorated and to die and to be unusable for God's glory? Yes, he does. And so we have to be bonded together with heavy links. So guys, make a big circle of unity and just link your arms together. They all smell pretty good, so that's a good thing, all right? (laughs) Somebody's got some good cologne. I need to find out what that is because it, it ain't me, that's for sure, all right? <laughs> now, this group is unstoppable. Now, there may be somebody in here that thinks they're going to just do a, pl- a plow through them, and you know what? Some bumps and bruises might happen. The enemy is going to go full force and try to take out this group, and they'll do everything they can to unlink them and break them apart. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to say, ow, yeah, <laughs> ow, Right? They're going to say, that did not feel good. Sorry, Carlos, that was a little harder than I meant, okay? (laughs) They're going to say, this is not comfortable. And then Carlos is going to look as a youth representative, and he's going to look to Ricky in the 40s, and he's going to say, you don't care what I'm going through. And then then Scott in his 60s and representing all of our seasoned saints, he's going to look across to families and like Scott nicely, he's going to say, man, you just need to work on your own family. And then the other guy is going to look over and say, man, you just need to quit being so grumpy. And all of these things are going to go back and forth because the enemy is trying to tear this group apart. And that's where we as a church have to say, we have an unstoppable God, an unstoppable gospel that causes us to be an unstoppable church. And no matter how hard the enemy attacks us, we will stay unified together for the glory of God. Do you want to do that? Let's do that together. Let's stand. Thank you, gentlemen. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we come before you desperate and needy. We know the enemy hates us and attacks us and wants to destroy us. We see it firsthand in our homes and in our schools and in our workplace. And then when we take some quietness to reflect on our own heart, sometimes we're a mess. Lord, you called the church to an unstoppable mission. And so we just have to wait for your direction. Be unified in prayer and find ourselves pursuing the unstoppable gospel for your glory.
Father, I don't know how you'll work in this moment together, but I pray that you'll stir our hearts, cause us to see you in Jesus' name. Amen.